Welcome to Confessions of a Sales Pro. My very special guest this week is a gentleman by the name of Barrett King, experienced partnerships and go-to-market leader with a proven track record in driving SaaS growth. Barrett is in Boston, Mass. Uh, he is a results-driven leader with over 10 years of experience in building partnerships and executing go-to-market strategies for SaaS companies. He is skilled in identifying and cultivating new business opportunities, driving revenue growth, and establishing successful sales channels. Specifically, Barrett helps B2B founders and executives with three critical things, building go-to-market strategy, growing partnerships in SaaS, which is partly defining partner market fit, scaling their sales operating model, which includes training, operations, and so much more. Barrett, welcome to the podcast, my friend. What a fantastic introduction. Ian. I'm so excited to be here. I appreciate you having me on. I don't think I could have said better things about myself if I tried, so I appreciate it. Well, well there you go. We, we don't have to trademark that. That's, that's one for you to keep, my friend. That, that's awesome. <laughs> Listen, Barrett, before we jump in and, and, and you know chat a little bit, uh, just on behalf of our listeners, I know you're busy, lots going on. You've got a beautiful day in Boston today. So on behalf of the listeners and myself, thanks for taking the time to, to share your wisdom and expertise with us. I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely my pleasure. I really enjoy conversations like this. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to do it together. That's great. Jared, I'm, I'm always uh, interested in the backstory, right? Like, where did, where did it come from? Why, why did you do what you do? So I'm super interested, and I'm sure our listeners are too, uh, in your unique career path. How did you end up where you are now? It is actually quite unique. I have a design degree uh, from college, but when I graduated, it was the 2008, call it implosion, if you will, of the market. And so I found my way into restaurants initially after college uh, as a manager and grew my career up to general manager of a few over the course of, of several years. I did that because I really enjoyed running a business, really enjoyed the relationship part of what that afforded me. And frankly, just had fun working in such a fast-paced industry overall. During that time, though, I found this passion, this love for technology continuing to grow you know, regardless of my actual career choices. And so the, the TLDR, the long and short of it is, I found myself dipping my toe further and further into the water of technology and ultimately landed at a firm that was selling technology to restaurants. So I combined you know, my background in sales and my background in restaurants together, it was a very unique opportunity. It was Google-backed, it did quite well, and we exited. And when I did, I sort of had this moment of inflection in my career and said, well, what do I want to do next? kind of work do I want to do? Who do I want to work with? All those good questions. And I found my way to HubSpot. HubSpot was an incredible eight-plus-year journey of my time. And what I did there was really peanut butter spread across the entire go-to-market, both in terms of teams and strategy and workload. I was in sales. I led sales teams. I was the first head of sales training for a partner at one point, the top channel manager where I managed some of HubSpot's top partners. And ultimately, before I left, spent a bunch of time in go-to-market strategy, helping them design the future state of where the business was going to grow into. It's a part of just this incredible team of really smart folks. And then as of late, my role right now is being responsible for the revenue over at a, a firm called New Breed Revenue. They're actually one of HubSpot's top partners. And so my career is interesting because each of those different steps represented, in my mind, a Lego, like a Lego brick that we're all used to seeing from our, our younger days. And those Lego bricks were on this map, you know, the green mat we all had growing up. And they were perhaps at times disorganized, but they allowed me to continue to level up and stand upon them as I progressed down my career. At this stage of my career, I, I'm aware enough that 
I can take those Lego bricks, I can organize them into the shapes that are helpful to me and certainly my peers and then obviously customers over the long term. And so I think about myself because of this uh, really you know, diverse and explorative career uh, path that I've taken as having range. And I'm proud to say that today I've done a variety of things across go to market and because of that, really find fulfillment in helping you know, companies and people grow in the B2B space. A wonderful backstory, uh, Barrett. I, I, I loved how you took your design degree uh, and then you got into the restaurant business and then technology. You got hit with the bolt of lightning of technology and you combined those things and, and made a career out of it. A very successful one, I might add, at HubSpot. For, for those of our listeners who may not know, HubSpot is one of the leading CRMs in the world um, and, and just coming on market share gain over gain over a year. And I'm sure you've had a lot of influence over that, Barrett. I love your Lego blocks analogy, but I was taken by this whole go-to-market, right? Because this is where a lot of companies get it wrong. So partnerships as a core go-to-market is interesting, right? It really is. How do you see that impacting the overall business-to-business SaaS space on the go forward? So what's fascinating about partnerships in B2B right now, particularly B2B SaaS, to your point, is that it's this very trendy thing. And so if you look at people like Jay McBain over at Malice and other big research firms, they're all saying, well, this would be the decade of partnership. And so every B2B leader says, great, I want a partnership in my business. They never define what that actually means. The reason partnerships has become such a prevalent way of going to market is that if you think about the fundamentals of call it 10 or 15 years ago, everyone picked up the phone or got in their car and went and met with a salesperson. And so they learned from a salesperson. And then there was a period of time where marketing was the rage. And so it was inbound marketing and content marketing and demand gen. And now today, the challenge is that the market is noisy. Regardless of your industry, regardless of your space, there's a lot of that sales and marketing sound being put out. So what people have done, the buyer has done, is they've shifted to a positioning where they say, well, who do I trust? If I can't trust all this noise. Where do I go? And so what's fascinating to me and why I've become a student of partnerships is the idea that when you go to market today, you better believe you need marketing because that's your awareness. That's important from an educational perspective that helps you attract and engage your buyers. You need great salespeople that can educate and support and consult your buyers as they move throughout their journey. However, more important than ever is you need someone else saying, yes, you should pay attention to them. I've used them. I've worked with them. And there was a brief period of time where folks said, well, that's, you know, that's flywheel. That's your customers advocating for you. And I don't disagree. I think customer advocacy is an absolutely valid part of this go-to-market engine we're all building. But partnerships, well, those people, those businesses and organizations are already there in the market where your customers exist, and they have your customers' trust. And so in every one of those interactions now, once you've established a partner dynamic, you can borrow that trust as a B2B company, and you can add value to it and deliver it back through those partnerships. So I think it's fascinating. I I think you're going to see more and more, I believe this actually, I should say specifically, you're going to see more and more organizations in B2B SaaS move toward a partner-first go-to-market is that, yeah, you know what? It is a better LTV to tap, and it is a happier place for those customers because they're able to get very technical and or very industry-specific knowledge and support, but it's also because customers want to buy that. They're working with these other organizations already. They have that trust. Now your organization can partner with those folks, connect on that trust, and deliver value, as I shared. Love that. I love what you said there, uh, Barrett. There's no doubt about it. it. It is a noisy market, right? It truly is. With all the social, the AI, all, there's just so much out there, and it does beg the question, who do we trust? Who wrote this? Was it a machine or was it a human being? The trust factor has never been more a question than it is today. And the notion of partnering with people 
that customers already trust instead of trying to manufacture it on your own, which is nothing wrong with that, but that's a longer, that's heavier lifting. That's a longer on-ramp than just working with someone that a, a group, a community already trusts. And that makes total sense because never before has trust been so under, you know, question as it is in these, in this marketplace as we find ourselves today. Uh, there, you mentioned partner market fit. Now uh, that's, there's a lot, that's a packed three, three word phrase. <laughs> and I'd, I, I would love you to, to, to peel up back a few layers first. Can you help define for our listeners today, Barrett, what you mean by partner market fit? This is my uh, my high horse. I'm going to stand on my soapbox here because Ian, this is what there I there you get. go. Yeah, I get this question a lot, and I and it's become my I don't know maybe obsession is a strong word, but maybe in part it is. I, there's so many folks that say, "How do I start? Right? Where do I start in terms of building a partner program or defining partners as, as a piece of my go to market?" And the challenge is that they all want to say the same thing, which is, "How do we generate more revenue? How do we speed up our business with partnerships?" And so when I talk to founders and I talk to leaders and they say, "Barrett, how do I build a partner program?" My first answer is, well, who have you thought about partnering with? And they always had this, again, the same response. Well, this company will sell more. This company will sell more. This company will sell more. And my answer is the opposite, which is what you should do very specifically to define your partner market fit is talk to as many of your customers as you can, the happy ones, the less happy ones, and the unhappy ones, and specifically look to understand who else are they working with. So let's say for argument's sake, you know, you are a, a marketing technology, there's a high likelihood your customers are going to work with businesses that service that platform, companies that provide technology on top of that platform, perhaps integration tools, and I could make a very long list here and, and so on. And so if you say, okay, let's look at a commonality. Now I've interviewed 20, 30, 50, 100 of my customers. How much overlap do I see in customer need? And then some form of third-party organization that is facilitating that need there's your early partner market fit. And what a lot of companies try and do is they want to define, are we a sales first? Are we an integration first? Are we a development first? And those are all great questions to ask. But your customers actually should be defining that partner market fit for you, in particular because they're the ones that are going to benefit from that organizational alignment. That's that's so intriguing. And I, I love what you said about the customers already know. Of course they do. Customers know. And I like how you don't just talk to the fan club. I call it the good, the bad, the ugly. Talk to some good clients, some yeah, you know, exactly. average ones, and, and, and some lost ones as well, some that got away, because they have firsthand experience uh, with the ecosystem that they already operate in with regards to how, who else they trust. So instead, I really like what you're saying. If I, if I could paraphrase it, uh, when you're thinking about a channel, uh, about a partner model, it's not company down and how do we extend it. It's customer up. Who do they already trust? And then do some analysis so that you're not overlapping, getting people stepping on each other's shoes and carefully laid the landscape for a partner model. I, I, and I'm sure that doesn't come without its challenges. I, nothing always works perfect the first time. There, maybe, like, maybe you can summarize a little bit first. What are some of the key challenges you see across sales and partnership models today? It's actually more common than you'd think. It's the stuff that you'd expect to be in. So it's it's super easy, right? So if we think about the average B2B SaaS leader, sales, marketing, whatever their role is, they're usually directly incentivized to correlate to quick and effective growth. Sometimes you see this extra sprinkling of like 
quick, effective, and in, in, in many ways, like not too costly, right? We want to have a good CAC and LTV ratio. That's fine. But in particular, in early stage businesses, you see this misalignment between what each of these three pillars wants. Marketing and sales are already misaligned, and you bring in partnerships, and the answer is like they are they are our solution. That partnership leader and that partnership development opportunity, that's going to be our, our answer to all of our problems. And the challenge is partnerships takes time. It takes time to build that trust capital. We talked about that earlier. Trust is the new currency. So how do you develop it? Well, you do work together and you share leads and you build integrations and you spend time because partnerships are about people. And so if you think about it at its core, common issues when meeting a new person, let's think back for some of us way back in the day in our early dating times, right? We think about meeting somebody new, there's personality alignment, there's likes and dislikes alignment. And that goes all the way down to what kind of food do you eat and all the way up to you know, what kind of music do you listen to and everything in between. And so if you think about that dynamic and bring it into partnerships and remember that partnerships is about people, then you layer in business. Oh gosh, it gets a little messy there. And so common issues and challenges and things to overcome are going to be time to value. I mean, misalignment in terms of expectation and comp plan is going to be trust at its core. And so one of the things I advise every B2B leader who talks to me about partnerships on is be patient. Got to give yourself 24 months one way, if not longer sometimes. Listen to your customer, which is the other big pitfall, not just in time, but in ego, right? We think that we know because we're the provider and we're going to solve for our customer. Yeah, but your customer runs a business using your technology. Trust that they're going to give you the insights for where your gaps are. And the last piece, which I think is probably my most favorite, is that this is people helping people, which sounds like a brush off statement, but it's genuinely true. And so if you assume that there are people on the receiving end of everything you do and you drive forward with good intent, the problem is that good intent doesn't get business done always. So being open and sharing and having a very clear dialogue around how we can work together, partnership is about reciprocating. Partnership is about a two-way street. Keeping that in the forefront matters most. Love what you said about alignment and time. And certainly, you, you nailed that, Barrett. There's always some kind of rub between sales and marketing, right? They're, they're marketing, you don't, you know, they say to sales, you don't implement our programs. And sales just said, well, you, your programs don't work. And there's always some kind of, you know, yin and yang going on there. You add, you know, the partner model to that. Now you've got like that third dimension of alignment that you're trying to juggle. And boy, does it take time. I, I love what you said about 24 months and keep listening. And you want to be, uh, you know, a manufacturer of trust throughout the whole ecosystem, right? The customer, the partner, your sales team, your marketing, and the overall company. So it does take time. I think that's great advice for our listeners today, uh, Barrett, that uh, this is, this requires some patience and big ears for listening because you're going to correct as you go and you can't set it and forget it. it. It's a nimble model that needs to be navigated very carefully to make everyone in the, in, in the model happy for sure. Exactly. Hey, listen, as a, fellow, as a fellow podcast host, and you are, I, I love your podcast, by the way. Uh, I know you, you know, you two speak about sales, partnerships, go to market overall. It, maybe for our listeners sake, uh, Barrett, share a little bit more about your show and, and what our listeners can expect to hear on that. Yeah. Thank you. And I appreciate that. The, so my show is called outcomes. It's about where partnerships and SaaS meet. Fundamentally, I, about a year ago, took on a role leading go-to-market uh, strategy around acquisition and some of the upmarket motions alongside an incredible team. I was by no means the brains of the operation. Um, but while at HubSpot, obviously, you know, the, the material decisions that we make have impact. And so I had imposter syndrome immediately, naturally so. And so, well, who can I go learn from? It's been there and done the work and has a story to tell about it. And so as I got to 
the industry out, you know, outreach in terms of looking at LinkedIn and other, other um, avenues, I found that the conversation was generally an echo chamber of the same seven to 10 people, 10 to 15 people. Now that's a product of, you know, the social media algorithm, but also the, the concepts were not massively uh, disruptive. It was the same sort of parroting. And so what I did is said, well, I want to go learn from people that have different new ideas, progressive thoughts. And I sought them out. And as I did, I had this light bulb moment of, well, I'm sure I'm not the only one looking for this. I expect there's others. And so I started to record my conversations. And as I got further into that experience, I realized I actually could help people. So my show fundamentally, and I'll wrap it here, is it is about conversations with operators that have been there, done the work, and have a story to share. It's quick and tactical. Each episode is 15, maybe 20 minutes, so meant to be really actionable and insightful. Respectfully, I always say this, it's not about their story. It's about their insights. It's about what they've gained in their experience that they can share with others. And I try and make it fun and cheeky and we have a good time. But ultimately, it's about core takeaways that a listener can tactically deploy into their business. And so, you know, we're on Spotify and we're on Apple and we're on YouTube and sort of everywhere in that sense. Um, And then obviously via my LinkedIn, I repost quite a bit. But ultimately, it's about connecting with folks across partnerships and across B2B and learning from those that have just really good insights and sharing with them. That's fantastic. I, I love the format and I aim for the same about 20, 30 minutes. Uh, give them nuggets. Don't, don't, you know, read them a book. Uh, give yeah. them some takeaway that they can, you know, put the shoes on and start walking immediately in them. They don't have to go to a catalog, right? So love your, uh, your notion with that. Uh, there, before we let you go, um, how can I, you scratch a lot of heads. People are going partnership model. Yes, we got to get our head around that. But you got to get your head around it right. So, how can our listeners best reach out to get a hold of you, get access to to your to your podcast, or, or just connect with you directly? What's the best way? I try to keep it simple. I do the same thing on my show, and I, I really like to keep it simple for the listeners. For me, it's LinkedIn as a core audience. Um, I've got uh, you know obviously Barrett J King as my uh, nomenclature, so you can find me very easily on LinkedIn. I work at NewBreedRevenue.com, so if you want to search for me there, you certainly can as well. And then my show is on, as I mentioned before, Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Outcomes is the name. I'm also a big member in Partnership Leaders. The work at Asher and team there are doing is exceptional. So if you're a partnership leader, check me out there. If you're in B2B SaaS and you want to talk, find me on LinkedIn. If you just want to listen, I so appreciate it. Always welcome the feedback. Go ahead and connect with me on those other social platforms too. That's fantastic, Barrett. Barrett, thank you very much for spending the time and sharing this very highly specialized wisdom with us today. My pleasure. It's been a fantastic conversation. Great questions. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Barrett. And thank you all for listening to Confessions of a Sales Pro. If you have found this episode informative and helpful, we would be honored and appreciative if you would share this podcast with other great salespeople like yourself. And we look forward to you joining us for all new episodes weekly, every Thursday. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. If you'd like us to help you grow your sales commissions, visit us at salesmentoryou.com. Confessions of a Sales Pro. Lessons, more wins. With Ian Selby.